Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. And, uh, boy, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, and in each hour, actually, uh, completely different topics that I want to get into. There's, there's, there's a lot going on this summer. And the, the level of perfidy of of destruction that the Trump administration over the last six months has unleashed on America is, you know, really quite extraordinary. I mean, you know, putting putting Ryan Zinke in, in charge of interior, the guy who is the shill for the for the lobbying and excuse me, for the mining and and uh, extractive industries, lobbies and, you know, cattle and all that kind of stuff, putting uh, putting uh, Scott Pruitt in charge of the EPA. The guy who has sued, what, 17 times, I think? Anyhow, a bunch of times to uh, shut down, you know, to block the EPA from doing its work. Um, you know, a guy who's a reliable tool of the Koch network and all the right-wing petrobillionaires and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's a lot here. In fact, I, you know, I sent a note to a friend of mine who's the editor of uh, one of the... Uh, yeah, I didn't ask his permission to talk about this, so I'm not going to name him, but he's the editor of one of the more high-profile online news sites out there. Just saying, you know, do you know if anybody has compiled a list of the essentially the crimes against America of the Trump administration in its first six months? I mean, it would have been a great six month roundup, right? You know, the, the streams of America rule, right? Uh, making it, you know, doing away with the, a law or regulation that that, you know, kept our water safe, uh, the, pulling us out of the Paris Accords, uh, changing changing the rules on air pollution, uh, throwing trans people out of the military, bringing Chris Kobach into the White House to suppress the vote nationwide. The guy who arguably, you know, won Trump the election by suppressing the votes of millions of people or possibly as many as millions of people uh, in the just before the last election through interstate crosscheck. You know, most of the Republican states are using this thing and they're throwing people off the voting rolls like there's no tomorrow and making it harder and harder and harder for 
young people, elderly people, and poor people to get on the voting roll. You don't have a passport, tough luck. And now they want to make this national. The fiduciary rule, you know, which is absolutely under assault by this administration, the fiduciary rule, which said that uh, if if you are a financial advisor to somebody who is giving you their retirement funds, you actually have to tell them the truth about how much money you're making investing their funds and whether it's the best thing for them or not. I mean, he he, he goes before the, you know, a, a group of police officers and, and creates a terrible role model and it basically empowers them to to engage in police brutality. In fact, encourages them to engage in police brutality. This is the commander in chief, the president of the United States, encouraging police brutality. That's the kind of thing you, you would have seen in Mussolini's Italy or Franco's Spain. That's not the kind of thing that we have ever, to the best of my knowledge, seen in the United States. I mean, we have to keep in mind how unusual this is, how, how not normal this is. So anyhow, I sent this note to, to a friend of mine who, who uh, runs this website, and I said, did anybody put, has anybody put together a list of all these things? And he sent me back a note saying, I, I'm pretty sure not. In fact, if you did, you'd be the first. So, uh, you know, I want to start out with, you know, what are Republicans complicit in? And perhaps you can help me add to the list. I'm going to actually make notes if anybody calls with a good suggestion for our list. And then we're going to go through and source everything and probably publish it as a piece on, on one of these websites. But, uh, you know, there's the uh, deciding foreign policy by tweet without express, without uh, experts weighing in. You know, if you have thoughts about what, you know, what are the things that the Trump administration has done so far that most upset you that, or that you think are most destructive to American democracy, he's made the, he's made the United States the laughing stock of the world by running a reality show presidency? His tweets, you know, are freaking out everybody 16 ways to Sunday. He's, uh, he, he goes before the Boy Scouts of America, a group that is rigorously nonpartisan. And, the, and presidents for 80 years now have been going before the Boy Scouts and speaking to them. And they never discuss politics. And Trump goes, you know, talks to the Boy Scouts and trashes the Democrats and, and raises Republicans. It's wrong. I mean, it's just fundamentally wrong. He's trying to sell our un, our public, sell off our public lands. Now, you know, this is a twofer for him. On, on the one hand, he gets to, to undo another piece of that black guy who was in the White House, undo a piece of his legacy. And on the other hand, he gets to, you know, by, by selling off public lands, you know, make a few billionaires even richer, and they'll kick some of that money back to his campaign or one of his super PACs or the Republican Party or whatever. He's, he's told us that he's going to end the war on Christmas. He told the Boy Scouts that in July you can now say Merry Christmas in America because Donald Trump is president. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I really wish you call it the Fox News pre presidency. I, I, you know, I don't know what else to call it. I mean, it's just, it is so bizarre. It's like this guy watches Fox News all day long. And, and Fox News, as we all know, is the largest purveyor of misinformation and lies out there in the, in the television media landscape. 
He's put the U.S. at the edge of war with three different countries, China, Russia, and the Democratic Republic of, or the People's Republic of, of uh, Korea. Uh, I believe that's what it's called, PRK, isn't it? The, uh, you know, North Korea. And God, you know, God only knows, you know, how close we are, or actually we are in the middle of wars in the Middle East. We're in the middle of a war in Syria. We're supporting the Saudis in a, in a, in a brutal war in Yemen that has produced so far 600,000 innocent civilians, mostly women and children who have cholera and dying of famine right now as we speak. And we're supporting and subsidizing that. He's attack Qatar. Saudi Arabia is running ads right now in Washington, D.C., trashing Qatar and quoting Trump. You know, a foreign country <laughs> lobbying us through advertising. I'll tell you, it's pretty remarkable. He's, you know, he's trying to undo the, the national parks. He's uh, private. He wants to privatize our schools. Betsy DeVos is on this campaign. By the way, a, a great op-ed apropos of that in today's New York Times. Talking about what, gov what government school, when people talk about gov government schools, Betsy DeVos loves to talk about government schools. Where'd that come from? It came out of the South. Government schools was a phrase that was used by people in the South to describe public education where their kids, their white kids, might have to show up and be in a classroom with a black kid. This is a phrase that became very popular after the 1954 Brown versus Board of Education decision. Virginia, a, a Prince Edward or George's Prince something or other county just down the road here in Virginia, for five years closed their public schools. No more government schools here. And Trump has brought that one back. He's, he's uh, torturing Obamacare. It, it, it seems to me that he's, he's, he's trying to, I, I'm not sure what he's trying to do, you know, because he campaigned on, I'm going to make sure that everybody has health insurance. It's going to be better health insurance than you have right now, and it'll be cheaper than you have right now. Well, you can actually do that as president of the United States. However, the way you have to do it is some variation on the way the rest of the world has done it, either single payer like most of Europe and, and, and Central and South America have, or, or through uh, a national health service, which would be sort of like the Veterans Administration, which is what Britain has. Or you can do it with an entirely private system, as Switzerland has done, but you simply require all elements of the system to be nonprofit, and you require every citizen to have health insurance. Now, it's a little easier to do it that way for Switzerland because they're the richest country in, in Europe. Uh, you know, there's just not much poverty in Switzerland. So, you know, but he, he, this is the beginning of my list. So if you've got things you'd like to add to it, I'd love to hear from you. Donald Trump, again, this morning tweeted, if Obamacare is hurting people, and it is, why shouldn't it hurt the insurance companies and why should Congress not be paying what the public pays? Sounds to me like Donald Trump just made an argument for single-payer health care, right? Why shouldn't it be hurting the insurance companies? How about why do we even need insurance companies? We'll be back. Welcome back. So uh, let's see, we've added mainstreaming radical right wing stuff, uh, right wingers to our list uh, over the last four minutes. Uh, apparently, the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center has published a little 28 page book of all the horrors that, that, that have come out of the Trump administration. Now, this having to do with 
you know, the rise of hardcore right nationalists and right wing crazies and all that kind of stuff. So um, your thoughts, Sheila in Littleton, Colorado. Hey, Sheila. Hi, good morning. I have one to add to your list. Trump should have appointed Merrick Garland, and he should not have allowed uh, Mitch uh, Mitch to uh, steal the Supreme Court seat. No, he put Gorsuch, he put an extreme right-winger on the court. So that's one more for your list. Yeah, that's a good one. I just wrote it down. Thank you, Sheila. I appreciate that. Uh, Tom in North Hollywood, California. Hey, Tom, what's up? What are you? Hey, Tom. This is uh, Tom Adler with GL Pages. Great. Um, dot com. And um, I just had a little bit of a bone to pick because you know how much I love you. Um, but last week when we were talking about the heroes from the healthcare, um, uh, you know, it going down in flames and everything like that, the one thing we missed, which I was so shocked because it was because it came from you, was we the people. And like say that again. I'm sorry. That, was we the people, Kai Newkirk and and the protesters, and how oh, yeah. they actually pushed the senators to vote in a way. I mean, we always yeah. talk about our, our revolution and our movement and all that kind of stuff, but I think that was missed last week, you know, when we were talking about John McCain and Susan Collins and um, Lisa yeah. Murkowski. No, Kai, Kai's um, group does great work. Code Pink does great work. There's a bunch of great gr- groups here in town. Uh, what was your point, Tom? I'm just saying we the people who truly are the government, we the people are the ones that pushed these people, and we just got to keep on pushing, and we can't lose fact that they're the ones that are making these, these one decisions. Right. It was because of the constituents sitting in their offices, and it was because of the people that were showing up. I, I, I got it. Tom, um, thank you very much. Mike in Fairview, Michigan. What's your suggestion for our list, Mike? Hi, Tom. How are you, sir? Um, I'm a veteran, a Vietnam veteran, and when when that loser Trump was um, uh, on the circuit for for his whatever his his presidency, he he cried about he needed a Purple Heart, and what what really galled me was that that old vet on stage with him. And his and his, his his attempt at some kind of attitude about and and that vet took his purple heart off his vest and handed it to that loser. Yeah. That that called me. It made me to the point where I couldn't look at other vets and think to myself that here's somebody that knows about the Constitution of the United States and still and still, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, falls into that trap of of what I just couldn't. It, it galled me. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it uh, and, you know, I'm not a veteran and it galled me. I, you know, it's, uh, you know, clearly Trump doesn't understand <laughs> about Purple Hearts and all that. Mike, excellent. Thank you for the for adding something to my list. John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, you got something? Yeah, I just wanted to say it really, you know, confirms all of my uh, suspicions about Donald Trump and his connections with organized crime that's infiltrated labor. Uh, there was a very interesting report with uh, Steve Inskeep, and he interviewed uh, somebody that was on Facebook who was a, a labor teamster local that my brother said is just notoriously corrupt and has been up on federal investigations. And this is uh, Long Island, New York. Uh, you know, this is the underbelly of 
New York society, uh, you know, it, unfortunately, there is still a lot of corruption and a lot of just really slimy characters. And then, you know, Scaramucci, really? Mm. I mean, and look at, you know, the, the language that he uses. I'm sorry, it's kind of important to say such things. I mean, it's appropriate maybe for late-night television, but really? I mean, come on. Yeah. That is just absolutely pathetic. Yeah. I'm not yeah. even sure it's appropriate for late-night television. I mean, it, the, the language I, I get, but the vitriol and the, and the uh, you know, I mean, you know, the, 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 the president's new communications director using that kind of language to describe two people who are on the president's staff, who are, at, you know, at the pinnacle of power in the executive branch of the United States government, it was, it was beyond obscene. It was, it was uh, morally reprehensible. John, excellent, excellent point. Thank you for the call. Um, our list is growing <laughs> step by step. We'll be back with more calls. You can support the Tom Hartman program and see video of our entire three-hour show over at patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, Senator Jeff Flake uh, stepping into the fray. This is very strange because, uh, you know, I, I had always considered Jeff Flake to be a, a lightweight, uh, you know, Republic, right-wing Republican, basically lightweight. And he's got a new book out. And he was on, you know, one of the Sunday shows here. Uh, which show was this from, Chris? Face the Nation. Thank you very much. And so here's a, a little clip of Jeff Flake talking about Donald Trump. And at what point do you say, hey, that's enough. Stop. Here's Jeff Flake. Uh, we're not hearing the audio. Okay, we'll, we'll try to play it again in just a minute. But basically what Flake is saying is that if you don't stand up and stop or speak out at the very least about the kinds of things that Trump is doing, you know, like his uh, executive order instructing the Department of Homeland Security to hire 5,000 new Border Patrol agents and build detention facilities and blah, blah, blah. Uh, John Kelly directed ICE to hire 10,000 new agents and gave them all kinds of powers. Uh, the Muslim ban, right? I mean, you know, this is pretty grim. But anyhow, this is Jeff Flake talking about complicity. What are we complicit in? Which is why we need to create this list of the crimes of Donald Trump. Here it is. You also say this about character. We cannot claim to place the highest premium on character, then abruptly suspend the importance of character in the most vital civic decision that we make. When we excuse on our side what we attack on the other, then we are hypocrites. If we do that as a practice, then we are corrupt. If we continually accept this conduct as elected officials, then perhaps we shouldn't be elected officials. Are Republican leaders complicit in this if they don't call out their president? I do think so. I think that, uh, you know, obviously, the last thing you want to do is wake up every morning and see a tweet and think, oh, I'm just, you know, it's tough not to just say, it's I'm a not tweet. respond and we oh, can't no. respond to everything. But there are times when you have to stand up and say, I'm sorry, this is wrong. Uh, there are truths that are self-evident. Um, and, and you've got to stand up and call, whether it's the White House or other elected officials, uh, to task when they're they're not doing what they should. And I do think that, uh, that we bear the responsibility if we're elected officials to do that. So yes, Republicans are complicit, says Jeff Flake. And, uh, you know, he's not going to be invited to the White House Christmas party, I'm guessing. Well, who knows? We'll be back. I want to talk to you about uh, 
football. Are we, is it really fun to watch people destroy their brains? Welcome back, Tom Harmon here with you. Uh, last week, the New York Times published an article about how uh, 111, the families of 111 dead football players, NFL players, over a period of, uh, I believe it was uh, maybe a decade. It was, it was some time. This was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Uh, the brains here are from players who died as young as 23 and as old as 89. Quarterbacks, running backs, linebackers, even a place kicker and a punter. Famous players, not famous players, just a whole bit. 44 linemen, 20 running backs, 17 defensive backs, 13 linebackers. Seven quarterbacks, five wide receivers, two tight ends, a place kicker, and a punter. It's starting to sound like, and a, and a, you know, five golden rings and a partridge and a pair. Anyway, uh, that's that was the list. And uh, Dr. Ann McKee, who is a neuropathologist, that is a pathologist, a person who looks at dead tissue, neuro, a person who looks at nervous system stuff, you know, a neuropathologist looking at at uh, the, the cause the, or the, 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 the progression of disease as a pathologist in the brain. And she's examined the brains of 202 deceased football players. Of those 202 players, 111 of them played in the National Football League, the NFL. And of those 111 who played in the NFL, 110 of them had chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Chronic mean it's, you know, repeating over and over throughout a long period of time. Traumatic, you know, trauma, damage from, you know, trauma. Excuse me, and encephalopathy, encephalopathy is um, the, uh, the, the increase in, in uh, fluid or pressure in the brain. And uh, this chronic traumatic encephalopathy, in other words, the, the brain gets bruised, basically. It gets struck, and, and you know, the, the, the brain kind of floats inside the skull, uh, you know, surrounded by amniotic fluid, the, 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 the brain fluid that, that, that surrounds the brain and goes down the brain, goes down the, um, the spinal cord. And, and when, when a person hits their head, the brain goes flying into the bone. And then whips back and bounces around a little bit. And, and, you know, it's not a good thing. And the part of the brain that impacts the, the, the bone will bruise and swell. And bruising is, you know, merely a trauma process. You know, in normal skin, you get a bruise and it breaks blood vessels. And, and you have, you know, that, that famous from, from Dr. T, you know, doctors on television, subdural hematoma, right? <laughs> it's, uh, subdural meaning below the skin. <laughs> and, well, well, actually, sub the dura is way below the skin. Anyway, uh, that would be subcutaneous uh, hematoma would be below the skin, right? Subdural would be uh, inside the brain, I guess. But in any case, the, 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 the bruising that happens to the brain damages the brain, and it produces this thing called chronic trauma, uh, traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, which is a degenerative disease that produces the following symptoms, confusion, depression, memory loss, and ultimately dementia. 111 out of 110 NFL, NFL, NFL players presented with this or showed this in their, in their brain autopsies. These were all 
you know, dead. They were examining their brains in detail. And then they actually show some of the pictures of some of these brains, and it's really striking how much brain matter is, has, uh, you know, vanished from their brains. I mean, this is just really, really remarkable. Uh, the one, one guy, uh, Ollie Matson, played 14 seasons of the NFL. He died in 2011 at the age of 80, being mostly bedridden with dementia. He said Matson hadn't spoken in four years. Uh, the, so, so anyway, the, the question that I, you know, that this presents to me is if I'm watching an NFL football game, and I, I would frankly say this goes beyond the NFL, and this is probably true of hockey and probably true of soccer, particularly given that soccer players bounce balls off their heads. And that's, that could be pretty traumatic, but I haven't seen any studies on soccer. But just to football, I'm sitting at home watching a football game, and I enjoy watching football, or at least I did until I read this study. I don't, you know, I'm not a big football fan. I couldn't tell you who's what in the leagues or any of that kind of stuff. But, you know, if I'm in a situation where there's a football game on TV and somebody hands me a glass of hard cider or a glass of wine or something and says, hey, you want to watch it? I can't drink beer because of the gluten, but you want, you want to, you know, or gluten-free beer? I, yeah, sure. Why not? I, I actually really enjoy watching baseball, but, you know, I've, in baseball, nobody's getting injured to the best of my knowledge. But now, when I'm watching football, I'm going to be thinking, I'm watching people lose their minds. I mean, you're, you know, if you, 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 and it's virtually every place, somebody's getting hit hard. And even if the hit isn't directly to the head, even a body blow can jerk that brain around in that little, you know, that gelatinous brain in that, in that very, very hard skull bone. And it's sort of like boxing, you know, I've, you know, we've, we've known the dangers of boxing for decades and we've known that boxers suffer brain damage and yet we still have boxing. And I, maybe you can help me with this. I don't understand why anybody would get pleasure from watching somebody else be injured. And in boxing, I mean, it's just really explicit. But in football, you know, there's a lot of people who say, you know, I, I don't like boxing. I don't watch boxing. I don't want to have anything to do with boxing. But yeah, sure, I'd love to watch a, a football game. And now we're seeing, I mean, maybe the, maybe the damage is not as severe as boxers suffer. I don't, you know, this is not a comparative study. This is just, you know, looking at football players. But 100, 110 out of 111 NFL players having um, CTE this is not a good thing. And what it means is that if you are watching a football game, in all probability, you're watching people being, you know, having their lives destroyed, having parts of their brains destroyed. You're watching people be set up for suicide. You're watching them be set up for depression. You're watching them be set up for divorce, for, uh, you know, uh, estrangement from their families and friends as a consequence of, of mood changes and dementia. You're watching them lose, literally lose the memories of their childhood and of the rest of their lives right in front of you. And, you know, what do we do with that? How do we deal with that? Should we? I'm not sure that you can reinvent football 
unless we go from tackle to touch, which, you know, would not be as uh, interesting. I'm not sure that we can reinvent football to, you know, to something that's less destructive to the people who play it. You know, we, we sit around and, and look at the Roman gladiators and the Roman society. I remember reading this when I was a kid, when I was like in, in elementary or junior high school, reading stories about the, the, you know, the Roman circus and how they would, uh, the, the gladiators would go out and they would fight to the death and then, or they would, you know, battle the lions or whatever it may be. And if they survived, then the crowd or the, the emperor, depended on what era of Roman history you're looking at, because the Romans were around for quite a, you know, many hundreds of years, but then the crowd or the emperor would turn their thumb up or turn their thumb down, like John McCain did on the floor of the Senate last week. And if they turned their thumb down, they would execute the, the, the gladiator right there in the middle of the arena, right in front of everybody. And everybody would, you know, applaud as they held up his severed head or whatever they did. And I remember being shocked by the barbarity of that. You know, reading that story as a little kid and just being genuinely shocked. Oh, my God, people used to live this way. This was entertainment. And now we know what is happening to football players. What does that mean? What does that say about us? What does it say about flip football? What does it say about the need for humans to have war? Now, war may not seem related to all this, but I, I have long thought that sports, particularly football, particularly the more violent sports, football and boxing, um, but particularly football, team sports, are our stand-ins for war, and that's why they're so popular, is there's something wired into our genetic makeup that caused us to wipe out every other homo species, every other human species. And there were a bunch of them. Our, uh, one of our daughters is in town, and over the weekend, with uh, her and her boyfriend and their kids, we, we went to the, or and his kids, we went to the uh, Museum of Natural History and, and uh, you know, spent a fair amount of time there. And in the, the, the David Koch section, which talks about how humans evolved and adapted because of climate change. I'm not making this up. There's a whole wall devoted to this, how climate change was so important to us. We wouldn't be here without climate change and all that kind of stuff. Climate change is good for you. Um, but anyhow, standing there in the David Koch section of the museum, I was struck by, you know, there, there are several human species that survived on this planet for six, seven, eight, one of them nine times longer than we have. We've only been around a couple hundred thousand years. Several of these species survived over a million years. That's success. And we wiped them out. And it's like, Okay, why do we do that? Well, it looks like maybe we have a gene for violence. We wiped out the Neanderthals. We wiped out the other homo species. Uh, we're wiping out species all over the planet right now at a mind-boggling rate. And if we have a gene, if we have a, 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 almost a need for war and violence, do we need to have a societal outlet for that? Does football actually diminish our propensity for violence, or does football encourage it? Which I guess is the same question about, you know, uh, fringy pornography. You know, does pornography that depicts 
uh, even even depicting it in a safe and and consensual way that depicts uh, you know sexual violence, does it create more of it, or does it provide people with a release so that they don't do it? And I you know I don't think that the that the uh, that the science is in on that. And I would ask the same question about football: Does this make us less likely to be warriors or more likely to be warriors? Welcome back to the program. This is a story that uh, came out of San Francisco. I'd said Seattle earlier. My apologies. It's San Francisco. And uh, which is interesting because when I was 17, literally, I did, I, you know, I spent a number of weeks in San Francisco that summer of 1968 panhandling in San Francisco. So probably not. Well, actually, this is on Market Street. I, I panhandled on Market Street. Um, but those were different times, and it was a different era, and it was a different event. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, for me, it was a lark more than a survival thing. This is, this is survival for this young woman. Her name is Megan. I'm, I don't want to get into her last name on the air, but it's in this article in today's Guardian, uh, theguardian.com. She is homeless. She has a six-week-old child. She has a severe back conditions. Uh, it, Presumably, you know, severe scoliosis or degenerate, uh, degenerate disc disease, something like that. And, um, and she, she sits on Market Street, which is, you know, kind of like the main street that runs through the center of San Francisco. She sits there, uh, you know, panhandling for money with her baby in her arms and her baby stroller next to her and her little dog. And a number of people have, I mean, this is kind of like, it bounced around the right-wing media first, and now it's bouncing around the left-wing media. And it's fascinating. I mean, this is at the same time that Bill de Blasio is saying that he's going to ban panhandling in New York. Uh, Sacramento is making thinking about making it a crime to panhandle, uh, according to this article in The Guardian today by um, Aaron McCormick. Sacramento considering making it a crime to panhandle at intersections, ATMs, and gas stations. Uh, there's a, an economist who's saying better idea is to accredit panhandlers. And Seattle, a nonprofit organization in Seattle, has launched a new app that does just that. But in any case, this uh, uh, a 70-year-old woman, Deidre Lakin, uh, stood next to this uh, younger. I, I say she's young. She's 34 years old. Uh, to stood next to Megan holding a sign saying women against child abuse. The assertion being that holding your baby while you're panhandling is child abuse. Now, I've been all around the world a bunch of times, and I've had a lot of women, particularly in India, uh, and, and uh, somewhat, and not so much, but also somewhat in the Philippines and other parts of Asia, um, had, you know, women with babies follow me down the street begging for money, standing at street corners, asking, you know, at stoplights uh, begging for money with their babies. And so, you know, what are the definition of child abuse? Well, Lakin says one of the definitions of child abuse is using a child for exploitation or financial gain, and this woman is making a lot of money. That's her, the quote from the 70-year-old woman who stood next to, um, Megan, with a sign basically condemning her. Now, I would submit to you that this is, and Megan is on Social Security disability because of her back, and
and she uses the panhandling money to buy extra things for her baby. And I would suggest to you that this is a symptom, not a cause. The Megan's panhandling with her baby is a symptom of a breakdown in San Francisco, but not just San Francisco, all across our country. You can travel all over Western Europe and never see a panhandler. That's not true of the United States anymore. And in fact, you know, well, so what we need is a smart approach to housing. I mean, why is this young woman, why is she homeless? Because, you know, if you're living on Social Security disability, you cannot afford to live in San Francisco. And... And frankly, there's a lot of people who work in San Francisco who can't afford to live in San Francisco. Now, Megan, she was in Minneapolis. She came to San Francisco because, you know, she said, I didn't want to freeze to death in the winters. And I'm a homeless person. I live on the streets. I get that. And, and, and maybe she's got, you know, a lot of homeless people have serious psychological problems. Schizophrenia is one of the more common things. And maybe that's her. I don't know. But. Shouldn't we have, I mean, what we're doing here is we're letting this brutal free market run housing policy to a large extent. I, I realize there are, you know, some reasonable housing policy. She's living in a homeless shelter with this kid. And uh, a homeless shelter, by the way, that has a nine-week waiting list. And, and she's disabled and she needs help. And she's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm taking care of myself here, myself and my daughter. I'm out here panhandling by way of taking care of my child. You should be praising me. So she's promoting this kind of dark libertarian freedom notion about individual responsibility. And we're all judging her. I'm not willing to judge this, this woman. She's staying at a, a place called uh, Hamilton Families. The number of homeless families in the city has jumped from around 600 in 2007. It's just before the housing crash, right? Which, by the way, made millions of Americans homeless. Or hundreds of thousands, anyway. Threw millions of Americans out of their homes. 600 in 2007 to 1,100 today. The number of homeless families in the city of San Francisco it says that there are so many families needing housing that there is a wait of six to nine months to get into shelter programs. And uh, Rachel Kenamore of Hamilton Family said, uh, it doesn't help to demonize families in need. She said, let's be part of the solution on this. What can we do to be supportive to members of our community who need help? And then they say, and then they comment about how people walk by as she's panhandling. Sometimes people hand her dollar bills. Sometimes they bring her food. Sometimes they offer clothes. And then one woman walks by and yells out, why is your baby out here? And Megan shakes her head and says she has no intention of being scared away by the critics. I do what I need to for my child. What would you do in a situation? I realize, you know, most of us are sufficiently privileged that we have family we can fall back on. Uh, we have uh, friend networks we can call back, fall back on. These things tend to evaporate as mental illness sets in, which is another thing that causes me to suspect that this young woman has, has some form of mental illness. But how do, you, how do we react to this? 
How, 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 you know, what, what sort of policies should we be looking at? How do we, how do we change our country in a way that is more compassionate, more considerate? Is it even possible? I, I would suggest that our 40-year fascination with the brutal free market and uh, the, this essentially violent, violence-laced libertarian economics is really at the core of a lot of this. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus the best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.